We celebrate Earth Day this week, and one of the Earth's most stunning displays of power comes with tornadoes, severe thunderstorms, and lightning. It's Severe Weather Week here in Minnesota, and we'll delve into how you can protect yourself from Mother Nature's fireworks. And we'll get a recap of the flood situation in the Red River Valley and what the days ahead may still bring there. Batten down the hatches and watch the skies. It's jet streaming from Minnesota Public Radio. Hello again, everybody, and thanks for joining us. I'm Stephen John sitting in for Paul Hutner. NPR meteorologist Craig Edwards has the day off, but here in the studio with me is Dr. Mark Seeley, professor of climatology and meteorology at the University of Minnesota. Happy Earth Day, Mark. We're having a fine spring day for Earth Day today. I'm sure there's lots of outside celebrations going on. Once again, we have seen the fickle uh, nature of weather in the month of April, starting out with uh, some, some, some heavy snow in the northeastern part of Minnesota, and we've got 80s in the forecast to uh, wrap up the week. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, Mother Nature brought another yet another winter storm to uh, notably Cook and Lake counties in uh, the Lake Superior watershed. Up to 10 inches of snow, Stephen, in some places. In fact, uh, that's a, a very large number for so late in the month of April, although it has occurred historically. We've had as much as 18 inches of snow this late in April, but it's very unusual. does not happen maybe once a generation or so uh, in terms of the lateness of this snow up there. And then southwestern and southern Minnesota, you know, have been seeing, uh, they've been crying for rain. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll hope that uh, things balance out here as we migrate more into the spring season. And there is some rain in the forecast here uh, coming up later in the week. Right. We'll see if we get some widespread, badly needed showers in the uh, parts of Minnesota that sure need it. In uh, national weather headlines, a line of storms swept across the southeast Monday, bringing strong winds and possible tornadoes. Two people in mobile homes were killed in North Alabama. Authorities say winds blew one of the homes across the road. Another home was hit by two falling trees, killing a man as he watched televised coverage of the storms. The event knocked down trees, power lines, and damaged homes in Georgia, as well as Alabama. The National Weather Service says the storms struck six counties in the Tennessee Valley. In other news, research shows the flow of water in the world's largest rivers has declined over the past half century with significant changes found in about a third of the big rivers. An analysis of 925 major rivers from 1948 to 2004 showed an overall decline in total discharge. The reduction of inflow to the Pacific Ocean alone was about equal to shutting off the Mississippi River, according to the new study appearing in the May 15th edition of the American Meteorological Society's Journal of Climate. The only areas showing a significant increase in flow was the Arctic, where warming conditions are increasing, the snow and ice melt. And debate on a massive bill to curb climate change heats up this week in the U.S. House. The House Energy and Commerce Committee is in four days of hearings on a draft bill that will limit for the first time the gases blamed for global warming and could revolutionize the way the country produces and uses energy. The marathon sessions will help shape final legislation that Democratic leaders hope the House will pass by the end of summer. Of course, summer is the time of year when we see some volatile and often unpredictable weather around these parts. This is Severe Weather Awareness Week in Minnesota. And joining us today is Chris Chapin of the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. Chris, welcome to Jet Streaming. 
Good morning. Why don't we start out by telling us a little bit about how Severe Weather Week got its start here in Minnesota. Well, the uh, the week is sponsored and has been for many years by uh, the Department of Public Safety cooperating with the National Weather Service and the American Red Cross, Twin Cities chapter as well, has a large part in this. Um, they got together several years ago. I wish I could give you a number, but I can't. I have been uh, working with this particular project for about six years, so it's been going on for quite a while. And it also occurs in other states. In fact, Minnesota coordinates with uh, Wisconsin and with South Dakota so that we can, you know, share the, the media coverage that we get around our borders and um, really try to promote the planning that saves lives. Um, people, you know, there's a pervasive attitude that it won't happen to me. And uh, when people hear that we had, for instance, uh, 48 tornadoes in Minnesota last year, you know, the ones who didn't get struck say, where? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it does happen in your neighborhood, in your town, you need to know what to do. And the point of Severe Weather Awareness Week is to make resources available to teach people what to do, how to stay alive. Well, Chris, uh, the history books show that every Minnesota county has experienced uh, tornadoes. And um, I'm wondering, part of the tornado drill is certainly part of Severe Weather Awareness Week, and has been for, for quite a period of time. Why are there two specific tornado drills? Can you fill us in on that? Yes. The, the, the drills take place in the afternoon. There's one. The first one is at 145. That one each year is statewide, which means that every county, every city will participate in that drill. The sirens will go off at 145. That drill um, is really meant for people who are at work. Uh, businesses um, can use that opportunity to practice their plans, and you will find uh, the larger they are, the more likely they are to have uh, a formal plan to respond to those kinds of things. But many, most businesses in Minnesota, I would say, have, you know, the knowledge and a plan to respond to that drill. At 6.55 p.m., there is another drill that is specifically meant for people at home and for second shift workers who are also in business or manufacturing situations, who need to know where to go and what to do when the sirens go off. That drill, the 655 drill, is um, optional by county. We have, uh, let's see, we have uh, of Minnesota's 87 counties this year, 49 will participate in that evening drill at 655. And both those are on the same day. Is, is, is oh, that yes. right, Chris? Yes. Every year, um, Severe Weather Awareness Week is approximately the third week in April, and every year the tornado drills take place on Thursday of that, of that week. This year we have a little bit uh, different situation in terms of the 655 drill. Um, we found that the floods up on the Red River have affected our uh, evening drill this year. Um, the Grand Forks National Weather Service is the place from which the warning would come out um, up in that area that has been so badly hurt by those floods. And the Grand Forks National Weather Service has elected not to participate in any tornado drills this year, Hmm. uh, 145 or 655. That's extremely unusual. But, of course, so is the situation that these people have faced. 
uh, for the last several weeks. Are, are and, they just are they just weary with uh, so many emergency uh, situations they've had? It, well, yes. You know, they're a little bit worried about about putting out any kind of uh, putting any kind of sirens out up there um, because of what they've been through recently. And you know, these people are are tired, and nobody wants to confuse them in any way. Plus, their lives. Some of them, you know, are still not back in the schools and the businesses and the normal situations in which they would be during a drill day. So there are 16 counties up there that will not have any tornado drills at all this year, and only because of the floods. Normally, um, I think 14 or 15 of those 16 counties would be participating. Now, in past years, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, haven't you canceled the uh, tornado drill uh, because there's actually been real severe weather in in the forecast? That that will happen if and when there are... um, uh, if we're under a watch, uh, the tornado drills will be canceled, yes. And that I, it, it has only happened once since I've been here, and I can't give you the year. But it's a very confusing situation and one in which we need to count on our friends in the media um, to get that word out very, very quickly, that if you hear a siren today, it will be real. Right. Um, right. You know, the, the drills are absolutely necessary and very useful, but uh, we don't want to... Um, cause anybody to sit around thinking that it's this this one is pretend you know right right right. well now besides tornadoes what are some of the other topics addressed during the uh, severe uh, weather awareness week well we build a an extensive website uh together as i said the, the department of public safety hosts it but it's built together with resources from the national weather service and the red cross and uh and other sources as well and it's um divided into days so um on monday we talk about Thunderstorms, hail, straight line winds, and lightning. Um, lightning actually kills more people in Minnesota than uh, do tornadoes. Part of this is a tendency of people who are not informed to run outside and watch the lightning show. Um, of course, you guys both know your your chances of being hit by lightning are very very slight, but your chances of surviving it are even smaller. Mm-hmm. So um, we talk about that quite a bit, and that is the Monday topic. Uh, Tuesday, we go to severe weather warnings, so people can learn the difference between watches and warnings. Wednesday is about floods and flash floods. Thursday, of course, is the drill day. And Friday, the topic is heat and heat waves. That's another huge killer uh, across nationally. Heat kills more people than any other type of weather event. Say, Chris, uh, speaking, uh, getting getting back to drill day a little bit, and you, you having worked in public safety for such a long period of time, would it be safe to say that most Minnesota schools have a severe weather response plan in place? Is that, uh, is that pretty evident as you work with these groups around the state? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, in fact, over the last couple of years, all the schools in Minnesota have received um, – NOAA weather radios, and so we know that they have the ability to receive the watches and warnings issued by the National Weather Service, Um, and they are, in fact, encouraged and, I think in some cases, depending on their location, absolutely required to have sheltering plans um, for weather events in place. I feel pretty confident about the safety plans in place um, in Minnesota schools. 
um, no, of course, we have the Minnesota School Safety Center, which was uh, spawned in the Homeland Security and Emergency Management Division here at Public Safety um, just a couple of years ago. And people who are looking for more information about school safety, school safety plans and directives, that kind of thing, can contact our school safety center. That's available on the uh, public safety website. Um, one follow-up, Chris, um, relative to the drill day that I think is a subtlety, but it might be fairly important for listeners to understand. Counties and cities uh, still have jurisdiction over the siren policy, and be- because of that, there is some uh, disparity. In other words, there isn't a universal policy that applies to all 87 counties or all Minnesota cities. But in that regard, what I'm wondering is, do they at that level, be it the city or county, offer their own educational programs to make sure that their citizens know precisely what their siren policy is? You know what? Some of them do and some of them don't. A lot of the public education efforts uh, depend on funding. Um, it's it's difficult to uh, educate the public without, you know, without a budget and the support of city officials or county officials. Um, so some, some counties and cities do have those education programs out there, and some of them don't. The best way that I can suggest that people find out about the policy and the process in their own area is to contact their county emergency manager. Every county in Minnesota has a person designated to uh, deal with planning, with public education, and um, make sure that that county and every city in it uh, has an opportunity to know about things like Severe Weather Awareness Week, to do terrorism planning, anything that's, that's necessary. And finding your county emergency manager is very easy because you can go to the public safety website, dps.state.mn.us, click on the Homeland Security Division, and go to Contact Us. Um, you will find a guide there to every county emergency manager in Minnesota. That's a good point. Maybe we should post that in our uh, jet streaming uh, material as well. That's a very good reference. Oh, it's a great idea, because these are the people really who know the local scene, the local budgets, and the local plans, and they know their city emergency managers as well. So they are fabulous resources for our citizens. Chris, how do we know at the end of a storm event that uh, it's all clear, it's okay to come up out of our basements? In most cases, there are no all-clear sirens. Um, the best thing that we can, can um, uh, the best advice that we can give is to have your NOAA weather radio and to own one and to make sure it has fresh batteries. They're a little bit like, uh, like uh, smoke alarms. They work wonderfully, but not without batteries. Um, and people steal the batteries out of these types of things to put them in the Game Boy or something. Not a good you know, idea. How that works. Right. Uh, and we warn people against doing that all the time because when you need it, nothing else will do. And our best advice is to have that NOAA weather radio and to listen to it. Um, don't sit in your living room and watch TV because you can get killed by a tornado watching like that guy did. Yeah, we pointed uh, out. Right. The news on TV. Right. Um, Take your radio with you and listen to that, because in most places, there are no all-clear warnings. The sirens will confuse people if, right. they, if they do that, right. you know. 
Right. Chris, have a great uh, uh, severe weather awareness week here, getting the word out for Minnesotans. We appreciate you spending some time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, too, and I encourage everybody to uh, visit the Severe Weather uh, website and learn as much as they can. That's Chris Chapin of the Minnesota Department of Public Safety joining us today on Jet Streaming. Red River Valley flood threat is starting to settle down, but forecasters are watching things closely until the last chance of danger has passed for the people of the area. Joining us now to recap this season's flood events and uh, look at where things currently stand is Steve Buen, hydrologist at the National Weather Service in the Twin Cities. Steve, welcome to Jet Streaming. Good morning. What's the latest you can tell us about the situation uh, in the uh, Red River Valley and the uh, tributaries of the Red? Well, uh, just uh, yesterday we saw uh, the, actually the last crest uh, way up north on the Pembina River. It comes out of uh, comes out of Canada, and uh, that's the last place to melt. And we reached the, the final crest we think of this event at uh, Nechi, Nechi, North Dakota, uh, just yesterday. And so that kind of caps it off there. The first crest um, uh, was down there at Wapaton and in the southern part, Wapaton Breckenridge, and the last crest is way up in northern North Dakota. Say, Steve, uh, I wanted to ask this, um, uh, and and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but it's been remarkable in my view that Fargo-Moorhead's gauge has been in major major flood stage mode now for, I think it's pushing 30 days. Um, uh, Do you think that it's going to drop below major flood stage uh, in, in the next few days? Yeah, I think we're we're looking at right now projecting about on the 25th or so. Um, it'll fall below its major flood stage. And I actually did look at uh, um, three prior floods, the 97, 79, and 2006, and uh, at how long it was above major flood stage. And the 97 was the previous longest at, at 28 days. And the, uh, the, the flooding of 79 and 2006, which were quite high um, up there in the upper 30s, uh, you know, of Creston, that 36, 37, 38-foot range. You know, we crested at 40.8 this year. Um, those were 10 and 11 days. And so over 30 days this year, which is what we'll end up with, uh, will be the longest duration above major flood stage for Fargo. Now, everybody keeps saying it could have been much worse, and uh, I guess we really dodged a bullet with uh, the lack of precipitation uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the, uh, the the way the scenario played out there for us, in the, at least in the southern part of the valley, uh, kind of put a lid on things um, by uh, having that uh, freezing period after the uh, rain event in late March and getting that snow event in uh, in uh, the very late March there, right before uh, on the 31st. Uh, that kind of actually kind of distributed things out a little bit, caused that second crest we had, and then really the almost no rainfall so far in April, just a, a measly four hundredths at, at the Fargo station there, uh, puts it the seventh driest April so far. Um, if we were to stay at four hundredths, it would be the fourth driest April. Um, and to kind of put that in perspective, the driest April was the drought April of 1988 with 100th in Fargo. So uh, just it's all the circumstances came in there that uh, – that uh, really uh, limited the, that height of the river in the southern part of the valley. Steve, having worked with NOAA for over three decades, I'm quite well aware that they accumulate all this experiential knowledge with each of these traumatic events, and then they try to make good use of it in preparing and deploying their resources during future severe events. 
What do you think uh, lessons learned uh, from that standpoint? Uh, 2009 is going to go in the history books, obviously, for spring snowmelt floods on the red. But what do you think are some of the unique attributes relative to uh, Noah's uh, gaining of knowledge from this experience? Uh, well, you know, we, uh, we we think we've learned that there, there's uh, there's some significant um, things that we can't do, such as predicting what, what they call this overland flooding, uh, which is still going on. There's new areas being flooded now from the Cheyenne River uh, that didn't experience flooding in 97, didn't experience flooding back in March, and are just getting it now. And being able to predict that, that is physically moving water across the landscape. And there are some things uh, being done, what they call this LIDAR, uh, measuring of the ground surface, where we can get a highly accurate depiction of the ground surface. So I think we'll be putting some resources into um, working with the Corps of Engineers on modeling uh, where this water really is going to be going on the landscape uh, to uh, help out those uh, people that live in the rural areas uh, predict uh, flooding in their location. So I think that's kind of one big thing I think that's going to come out of this is um, really more intense modeling across the entire landscape. Uh, Steve, you mentioned that the Cheyenne is still flooding overland, a, tri- a, tributary, a tributary to the to the Red uh, River. Um, but the Red has, has crested. Uh, are we out of the woods yet, or, or could there still be more, more flooding in the valley and, and elsewhere in the region? Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's going to be highly dependent on that rain, and we've had this long dry spell here going on about three weeks now, and uh, weather models are indicating a much more active scenario uh, through the end of the month and into the first part of May. Um, the uh, Climate Prediction Center uh, folks out uh, that run the uh, longer-range uh, climate models are indicating that the upper Midwest has a higher likelihood of seeing uh, above normal precipitation uh, for the month of May. So we're really kind of uh, looking back at climate history, and we see some uh, events, weather events in May, cause some substantial rises on the Red River and its tributaries. So we're kind of going to cross our fingers here to get through the month of May, I think, and uh, without any additional uh, rainfall. We've got uh, the reservoirs are very full. Uh, In fact, the uh, Cheyenne Reservoir above the Valley City area is still rising. They're restricting the outflow to uh, uh, help the situation there in Valley City and Lisbon, North Dakota, downstream from there. So the reservoir is still rising itself. It's only got about a foot, foot and a half more of storage available. So uh, it's going to be very susceptible to an additional runoff event uh, causing additional problems there. So um, they're still under the gun here for probably a good six weeks. Hmm. I wanted to... um make a or pay a compliment and also ask a question steve uh my compliment is uh, that uh, your organization uh, namely both the river forecast center and the national weather service i think did a remarkable job of communications this time around i i i know you deployed a lot of resources and you gave that special attention but i think from the standpoint of dealing with the uh citizens that were exposed to this risk as well as with the uh, drawing attention through the media and then also providing educational messages, you you did a remarkably good job. The the thing I want to ask, though, is relative to to your staffing. Uh, Did this just about exhaust all your staffing? I mean, people must have worked, you know, uh, extraordinary hours to get through this period of time. Well, well, thanks for your uh, kind words there, Mark. And um, we did... I think, you know, we really went 
to all-out efforts to get the word out there to folks through a variety of means. And, and yes, this, the, these events that go on uh, for a month or more at a time really do tax the uh, uh, abilities of people to uh, stay focused and stay uh, vigilant on that. You're working a tremendous amount of hours, uh, seven days a week, and uh, um, you know, and it's like it's like any other uh, 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 endeavor that you take on. You can go at it with an intensity for a period of time, and you have to back off and reload. And uh, that's kind of what we do here. Is that with our staff? Is that uh, we have people putting in those 12, 14-hour days, and then for about a week, then we got to back them off for a few days, get them refreshed, and get them back into it. And and when you deal with a, a, a natural system of, of flooding, and it just keeps coming back at you, um, eventually <laughs> Mother Nature can wear us down a little bit. So we're glad we're getting this break here uh, before we, we get into the spring rainy season, which looks like it's going to come about now. We've got everybody refreshed here on the staff, and uh, we're going to get ready to go back at it. Steve, as a hydrologist, do you spend most of your time looking at charts and graphs and computers, or are you uh, out in the field? Well, we're mostly uh, working out of the office. Uh, During a flood event, uh, I'd say we're 90 to 95 percent here in the office. We're we're analyzing reports that that, uh, come in from uh, the citizen observers out there in our cooperative observer network, those to be rainfall, snow, things like that. Uh, we're looking at data that's coming in from automated equipment that's transmitting either via satellite or by telephone back to us, telling us what river heights are, how much rain has fallen in an automated tipping bucket rain gauge, things of that nature. We're uh, running computer models. We're exchanging data with other agencies, such as the Corps of Engineers, or the U.S. Geological Survey, or uh, State Water Commission, Minnesota DNR, things like that. Um, and occasionally we will then also get out in the field to um, see something that's going on. We'll have uh, we'll make send someone if there's a significant hydraulic event occurring. We'll get some some field reconnaissance out there or send somebody up in a plane. We sent uh, we sent uh, a couple folks up uh, over the course of two weeks uh, on some plane reconnaissance up in north central North Dakota to look to see where the pothole regions up there are so full that they were spilling water from pothole to pothole and eventually getting to the river. That's North Central North Dakota is full. It's uh, what they call that prairie pothole region. And typically that doesn't contribute water to stream flow um, because it, it has the, the, all those depressions out in the landscape that can hold water. But in a significant hydraulic event, um, they can fill up and start spilling from one to another and eventually make a connection to a river. And uh, so we sent uh, some of our hydrologists here uh, over the course of two weeks on plane reconnaissance to view this, to, uh, to see exactly where this was happening and what the extent would be. So um, a little, little variety, but uh, we do most of our field work in the, in the uh, non-flooding season where we get out and do inspections and things like that. Steve, Governor Pawlenty this week uh, uh, talked about the uh, state funds that are going to be allocated for both recovery and flood mitigation work up in the Red River Valley. I can't help but wonder um, uh, the attributes, especially maybe the more unusual or unique attributes of the 2009 uh, spring snowmelt flood might be used to better target specific mitigation efforts. Will your office, do you think, be involved in uh, in some mitigation uh, uh, efforts over the next few years with uh, selected communities up there? Well, I think to some extent. Uh, 
we look at uh, you know they have to look at all the alternatives uh, depending on the, the you know the size of the community and and uh, the extent of the problem and uh, and, and sometimes uh, just uh, good forecasting might be the best mitigation effort if you get uh, some of the smaller communities you get enough advance word you can put up uh, protection works on an ad hoc basis and that's probably the best bet rather than a permanent project uh, when it gets into large scale mitigation projects where they're um, you know, say uh, building, uh, you know, a, a dry reservoir like they did on the Maple River here a couple of years ago or, or building an impoundment project. Uh, we may or may not be involved with it to, to some extent. Um, but uh, but I, I see us being, being uh, someone at the table there that, uh, uh, that provides our expertise and uh, whether we feel we can give uh, quality forecast services to a location um, to uh, mitigate their potential for damage due to flooding. All right, Steve Buen, thank you so much for uh, sharing your knowledge today as a hydrologist with the National Weather Service, and uh, good luck the rest of the way in this uh, still not completely over flood season. (laughs) That's right. All right, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. This is Jet Streaming. That was Steve Buen of the National Weather Service. And our website of the week, Mark Seeley, is uh, from the Minnesota Department of Homeland Security. Yes, uh, almost all of the topics we talked about on jet streaming today uh, have have some relevance to this website, uh, Stephen. Simply look for severe weather, severe weather being all one word, dot state, dot mn, dot us, diagonal index, dot asp, or you can just go to the NPR website and see we'll have it posted there, but Everything severe weather, not only in terms of what's going on with respect to the awareness and education programs this week, but give you a lot of background and history relative to severe weather in our state as well. All right. And the weather word of the week, weather words, short fuse warning. What the heck is that? Well, we're in the season of short fuse warnings. Short fuse warnings would would refer to, for example, tornado uh, warnings or uh, severe thunderstorm warnings whereby the Weather Service puts out a warning about a feature of the weather that's going to be minutes to maybe an hour in duration. And and uh, so those are called short fuse warnings. Those are the ones you really need to respond to. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that really mandate a response, and that's why we do the drill, mm-hmm. the tornado drill, and have severe weather awareness. Now, of course, they put out uh, other warnings, uh, Stephen, in the summertime. We may get, for example, an excessive heat warning. Right. But that may last, uh, you know, half a day to two or three days. Okay. So they don't term those, uh, they dis- discriminate those from these so-called short fuse warnings, which are a very short-in-time element of the weather. Gotcha. That's the ones where get to some safety right now. Exactly. All right. Don't forget, if you have a question of uh, any of our uh, meteorologists, uh, weather personnel here, you can drop us a line anytime and pose your question. Just go to minnesotapublicradio.org and find the Jet Streaming page on the program's drop box and go to Contact Jet Streaming on our page to submit your questions online. And uh, don't forget, our second annual Severe Weather Forum is coming up here real soon. It's Wednesday, 
May 6th at 7 p.m. It's your chance to meet the entire jet streaming crew and get your severe weather questions answered in person. Our jet streaming pal Kathy Werzer and longtime Twin Cities meteorologist Paul Douglas will be joining us as well as some other special guests. Tickets are free, but you'll need to reserve them. Just go to minnesotapublicradio.org and click on events. Look for the calendar on the right-hand side of the page for Wednesday, May 6th for the Jet Streaming Severe Weather Forum here at Minnesota Public Radio. Another fun show. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Stephen. And good luck with the Severe Weather Week, everybody. That wraps up this week's show for producers Patty Ray Rudolph and Jim Bickle and technical whiz Rick Hebzinski. I'm Stephen John. Be sure to keep your ear here to jet streaming and your weather eye on the sky. 